this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Since today is Christmas Eve, it is only appropriate for us to read the Christmas story together. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2, which is where we find the birth of Jesus. If you've grown up in church or you attend church every Christmas, you have heard this passage before. So here's what we're going to do to make it sound a little bit fresh maybe for you. We're going to read this from the message paraphrase, all right? So it's going to give maybe a little different phrasing for you, maybe help you lean into the story. But for part of it, we're going to flip back to old school New King James, and I'll help you know why uh, when we get to that part, and then we'll jump back to our message paraphrase. We'll put Luke chapter 2 here up on the wall, and uh, you can follow along. It says that about that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So, anytime you see the word so in the Bible, circle that one. It's connecting some thoughts for us. We'll break that down a little bit. So, Joseph, everybody know who Joseph is? Yeah, 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 Jesus' little stepdad. So, Joseph went from the Galilean town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's town. Who's David? Anybody know? King David, right? Like, he was kind of a big deal. What do you know King David for? David and Goliath. Like, he was the little guy with the sling. Like, this is where he grew up. This is where he watched the sheep. This was his hometown. So I don't know if Joseph felt like maybe people, this isn't a good illustration. You know, if you grew up in Independence, that is the hometown of Harry S. Truman. You know, you have that connection. Now, I don't know if Bethlehem was like Independence, Missouri. But anyway, that's where he grew up. Someone famous was from his town. He grew up in the same spot that he did. And so we have uh, a descendant of David. He is in the lineage of David like he is like his great, 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 great. Man, I got to tell you about my great, great grandpa. Like he killed a giant. So as a descendant of David, he had to go there. Where was there? Bethlehem. All right, you guys are tracking it so good. And he went with Mary, his fiance, who was pregnant. Bump, bump, bump. Scandalous. Fiance, pregnant? What? Verse 6. Now, while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. All right, can you imagine? I remember my wife's had three kids. There's that moment, you're gonna have the baby right now. When are you having the baby? Is that a labor pain? What is this? All of a sudden, they're not home. They're not by their loved ones. They're not by mom and dad. They are out of town. And all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, I was hoping the baby would come late. (laughs) I was hoping we'd get back home, but, but it came time for her to give birth. And the Bible just kind of skips some of what happened next. Did she labor for hours upon hours? Did she call the doctor in and get the epidural? She didn't do that. That's not in there. But we see that she gave birth to a son, her firstborn, which indicates that she had other children. And she wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the hostel. Now, 
The next part, we're going to flip to the New King James Version, and the reason I do this is because some of you grew up watching A Charlie Brown Christmas, and there's the scene with Linus holding his blanket on the stage as he tells Charlie Brown the real, the true meaning of Christmas, and he quotes these verses from the New King James Version, so I wanted to give you that nostalgic moment here so that you can hear little Linus's voice. I'm not going to imitate him. Don't go there. I might be funny, but I ain't that funny. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people." For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We're going to jump back to the message now. Verse 18, it says, As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the shepherds talked it over. Hey, well, let's get to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. And they left running, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. That was the sign. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the shepherds were impressed. And Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear, deep within herself. The, the shepherds, they returned and they let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they'd been told. Don't you love the Christmas story? Luke chapter two, it's familiar, we've heard it. A lot of us would say, man, that is a classic story. But, but sometimes in our culture, it's easy for us to miss what Christmas is all about. You know, because there's parties for hosting and marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. And then there's those scary ghost stories and the tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. And, and even though a lot of people consider this to be the most wonderful time of the year, the thing that people think is wonderful about this time of year is often not Jesus. It's something else. It's not the baby in a manger. It's something else. Instead, people think, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingle belling. And everyone telling you to be of good cheer with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. We label this the most wonderful time of the year, but sadly the key figure in the Christmas story, Jesus, is often overshadowed and neglected by all of the other trappings of Christmas. There's the wrapping paper, there's the family traditions, 
there's the reindeer, there's the stockings, and all of the Christmas Americana that comes this time of year. Interestingly, I, I've, I've known Christians my whole life. Some of you know I grew up as a pastor's kid, so, so I've been around Christians my whole life. They're not unusual to me. I, I know them, I get them, and I'll be honest, there's some weird Christians in our world, right? Uh, some of you, you fit the category, but I love you. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna share heaven together. And so Christians kind of get weird. They can sometimes get polarized when it comes to Christmas. They go one of two directions. I mean, Christmas, we got the North Pole, Right? And you got the South Pole, all right? There are two opposite ends of the spectrum. And, and I think Christians, when it comes to Christmas, sometimes run to one extreme or the other. You have one camp. They're the camp. They love Christmas. Oh, it is the most wonderful time of the year. When they hear Christmas music, like their heartbeat slows down. And they feel all warm inside. And they're like, this is so good. And then you have other people. We'll call them the Christmas Oscar the Grouch. Uh, you guys remember Sesame Street? Oscar, he's the one that lives in the trash can. He's a grouch. There are some people that run to the other polar extreme, and they don't think Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. They think that this is horrible, that the true meaning of Christmas has gotten lost, and we need to be done with Santa Claus, get rid of the reindeer, and what's up with all the gifts? And this is just a corporate America. They're trying to get your money, and they got you. You spent all your money, didn't you? You rang up a whole bunch of money on your credit cards. Oh, this is just all a play to get us. Ah, oh. So we have the wonderful time of year and their hearts slow down as they hear Christmas songs. You have the other group, and they hear Christmas songs, and they change the radio station because I can't handle Frosty the Snowman. And if I have to hear that Santa Baby song one more time, or that kid who needs his two front teeth, or the hippopotamus, I'm going to be done. Not to mention Grandma, who got ran over by a reindeer. And why did she leave? She needed her medication, y'all. Gosh. We have these two camps, and, and, and my problem is, is that both camps have actually missed what the real meaning of Christmas is. Although they become polarized, one group says, I love this time of year. I love the nostalgia. I love the Christmas tree. I love the warmth. I love all of the fun festivities. I love the Christmas movies. I love all of this time of year. And the other one says, I don't like this time of year because of all that stuff. But neither camp is actually focused on Jesus. They're both distracted. This group's distracted by all of the nice things surrounding Christmas, and this group's distracted by all of the disdain they have for those who are celebrating in a way they don't find to be appropriate. And neither one is seeing Jesus. In our passage, we read in Luke chapter 2 that, that Mary, she gave birth to a son. It was her firstborn, it said. And she wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger. Why did she do that? Because there was no room in the hostel. There's no room in the inn. I wonder for you and I, if we are possibly guilty of not making room for Jesus in our Christmas celebration. Are we guilty of leaving no room for Jesus. See, when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in the town of Bethlehem, people would not make room for Mary and Joseph. They would not make room for Jesus in their lives. And when we fast forward 2,000 years to today, people are still struggling to make room for Jesus. And maybe part of the reason we struggle to reorient our lives around Jesus is because when we hear the Christmas story like we read this morning, we think, oh man, this is a classic. 
And it's something that we've heard maybe so often that it's lost its meaning. It's lost its significance. It's just become familiar. And and I think that even for some, we've heard it so often that it's lost its meaning. It, It almost comes across as though it's a fairy tale. It's just a nice, made-up, fictional story. It it, it just sounds too magical and imaginary. We have virgins giving birth. We have angels singing. We uh, have a happy ending. Uh, And so I think for us today, we need to remember that the Christmas story that we read in the Bible is not fiction. It's actually a story that when we start reading it, we find is grounded in history. And one of the first things that we learn from the Christmas story is this, is that God works in real time and real space. Real time and in real space. See, Luke chapter two, we started off with these words about that time, Caesar Augustus. Our story doesn't start with, you know, once upon a time, God, No, our story starts with a historical figure that about that time, Caesar Augustus, who was also known as Octavian, who was one of Rome's most successful leaders, who transformed Rome from a republic to an empire, that guy during his lifetime, during his reign, that's where the story of Jesus is rooted. This isn't fanciful, imaginary. No, no, this is historical during his time. If we were to tell this in a more modern take, like we would talk about how we are living in the time of Joe Biden. There was the time of Donald Trump. It's during the time of Vladimir Putin. This story is connected to a real person in a real place at a real time, and God is working in real time and real space. In the story of Jesus, it's, it's not only rooted in history, but it's rooted in, in a very mundane uninteresting moment in history. What were they doing? We'll put the verse back up there. About that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken. Has anybody gotten excited about a census? Ever? Well, let's count all the people. Oh, man, I'm so excited. This is a special moment in the history. We're counting people. Why was Caesar Augustus interested in this? Because he wanted to make sure everybody in his empire was being taxed properly. I need to know how much money I got coming in. We have moved Rome into an empire. I want all the money so we can continue to sustain Rome. So we're going to count all the people. Everybody go back to where you came from. We're going to count you. We're going to make sure that we're not missing any taxes. Does anybody love taxes in here? April 15th, anybody's favorite day. Oh, my goodness. Like, yes, I love this. I can't wait to pay the government more money. (sighs) Our story, it's rooted in history and in this uninteresting moment. And our story actually begins and is initiated by an ungodly political figure initiating a census. And in this mundane moment of history, God is working. And see, I think the problem for you and I is that sometimes we miss God working in our world today because we don't expect him to be moving and working during what I would call common hours. There's nothing special maybe happening right now and we don't see God moving. We think God's only gonna move when there's a crisis. Oh, my world's falling apart. Oh God, I need you. Well, God was trying to get your attention last week before your world fell apart, you just weren't looking for him. He was moving, I was just blind to him. And now that I've had 
crisis, now I'm crying out to him. I think that we often miss God moving in the common hours because we're not looking for it. Oswald Chambers says this, what we call crisis, God ignores. And what God reveals as great critical moments of a man's life, we look on as humdrum commonness. As a young Christian, I'm so glad that I, I learned that, that God works more in our lives during common hours than through crisis moments. When it seems like nothing big is happening, that's when God's wanting to speak to you. And the moments that you're falling into your routine, those are the moments that God's trying to break you out of routine. In Luke chapter two, God changes the history of humanity through the common hours of an ungodly leader calling for a census. And often we miss God because we don't recognize that the secular is actually sacred. When we talk about secular, we talk about the parts of maybe our world and life that God is void of. He's not a part of that. That's not connected to God. But here's the truth. The secular is sacred. There is no part of our world, no part of our lives that God is not a part of. When we look at the Bible, Romans chapter 11, verse 36, in the Amplified Version, it says this, that for from him, Jesus, all things originate, and through him all things live and exist, and to him are all things directed. There's no part of our world that we're like, no, God doesn't impact that. No, no, he's involved in all of it, and so to him be the glory and the honor forever. Amen. The Christmas story shows us that God is also often orchestrating the crazy inconveniences of our life to get us exactly where we need to be. This is so crazy. We don't have time this morning to fully unpack this, but in short, God moved the entire Roman Empire in order to move Mary and Joseph to the exact place they needed to be to give birth to Jesus. That's how big God is. And there's something to be said about being in the right place at the right time. See, God's presence is experienced when we are in the right place at the right time. I think about the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph. Like, I, it would be really hard for me if I was engaged to my wife, Missy, right? Which we were engaged before we were married. And if she came to me during our engagement and said, hey, just need to let you know I'm pregnant. Oh, well, that wouldn't be for me because we ain't done nothing. You're pregnant? And then she proceeds to say, yes, it's by God. What do you think my response would be? <laughs> Woman, you have lost your mind. <laughs> Give me that ring back, we done. Like, I don't know whose baby's in your belly, but it ain't mine. And you want me to still marry you? Who is the deadbeat that you got with that left you and now you coming back to me? I don't think so, girl. I don't know if Joseph had that kind of attitude, but that would be my attitude. And Joseph had to deal with the fact that he has been engaged, he's been preparing. In that time, they had this betrothal period in which he would go, there's this commitment, they're gonna get married and he would go and begin to build a home and a life for them. And in the midst of him working for their future, she shows up pregnant. What did he wanna do? Anybody remember the story? He's like, I think, I think we're over. I think this is done. 
He wasn't going to text break up with her because text didn't exist. He was going to have to go in person. He was going to have to do it like a man. He was going to break this off. But he was going to do it as a gentleman. The Bible says that he was going to try to do it quietly. He was going to make a big scene about it. He was going to go tell all of his siblings and all his family and get all the drama. He wasn't going to do all that. He was going to go and break it off quietly because he did care for her. But what happened? An angel showed up and been like, hey, yo, Joe, don't do that. She ain't lying. The baby's from God. Now, that's a leap of faith, right? Like, I never heard of this before, but I'm convinced this angel said this. I'm going to now walk my commitment out with Mary. If Joseph had not walked his commitment out with Mary, when it came time for the baby Jesus to be born, Joseph's not in the presence of God. Him being present at Jesus' birth required him to stay to the commitment that he made. And for all of us, we will not experience the presence of God unless we're in the right place at the right time. And the right place in the right time requires us to make a series of next right steps. You may not know all the picture, you may not know all the things you need to do, but the next right thing for Joseph was, I'm gonna stay married to Mary. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stay committed to her. I ain't breaking it off. Oh, we got to go to Bethlehem. Well, we're going together. He just continued to make the next right step. And when it came time for the presence of God in their life, he was there. I think for all of us, we need to pay attention because I believe God is orchestrating our life in such a way to move us to the place that we can experience who he is. But if we don't do the next right thing, we're going to miss Jesus in our life. About that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. And this was the first census when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel from his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. And so, big connecting word, because of the census, because Caesar Augustus issued this, because all of this happened, God was using this to move them where they needed to be. So, Joseph went. He did what he was supposed to do. He didn't deny the government. He didn't raise his fist, say, I got a fiance who's going to have a baby. No, he did the next right thing. And because he remained faithful and committed to Mary, he did not miss the birth of God. He was at the right place at the right time. I think for each of us, we have to realize that God is presenting each of us the next right thing for us to do. We we all want like a five-year forecast. God, where are you going to lead me in five years? Can you just like share with me where the destination is? He says, no, but I'll show you the next step to take. There's a verse in the Bible we used to memorize in children's church. It was Psalm 119, 105. It says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The, the idea was that in those days that they would tie like little lanterns around their feet and it's dark out, they don't have electricity, that they would take a step and that would give enough light for them to see that there's still ground here in the next step. And if they stood here, oh, there's enough light to see that there's a, a cliff here. They couldn't see the whole picture, but thy word is a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And if I just continue to take the next step, I know where the next step is supposed to go. I think that we need to begin to approach God not with what's the end in mind, what's just the next right thing. And so I think some of you, you know, you might be here today and you might be like, I don't know why I'm here. 
You may not have known why you walked into the doors of church today, but can I suggest that it's possible that the God of the universe has been orchestrating your life to put you in this very moment? That he loves you enough that he has caused whatever brought you to this place to bring you to this place for a very specific reason? Maybe you are right where you need to be so that you can choose to do the very next right thing. I don't know who the author is that said this, but he said, if our greatest need had been information, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was, and still is, forgiveness. And so God sent us a savior. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and given him permission to be the king of your heart, then I believe that God has been orchestrating your whole life to bring you to this moment, to present you with the next right step, to say, you know what? You're right. I've been running the shots in my life. I've been calling it. I've been denying God, but I want to surrender to him. I need to ask him to forgive me for the mess I've made in my life, and I'm gonna commit to doing it his way. It's the next right step. If you're here and you've never made that decision, then you can make that decision right now. You don't have to wait. Your story could be that I stepped over the line of faith on Christmas Eve, 2023, that God orchestrated my life to where I would hear a message about the goodness of our God, and I trusted him. If that's you, the prayer is simple. What you're saying in your heart essentially is just, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sins and ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and I want him to come into my heart and to take control of my life. I wanna trust Jesus as my savior and follow him as my king all the days of my life. If you wanna step over the line of faith, make that your prayer. Dear God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for doing things my way. I surrender my life to you. I give you my life. Lord, I want you to be in charge. If you're praying that prayer, I believe that God is hearing you and he's so excited because he's brought you to this very moment. And I believe that your life will never be the same. I want to invite um, Missy to join me on stage. and Dad, if you wouldn't mind coming up here. Dad, I might have you sing for us in a minute if you want to get that guitar on. Yeah, now you'll be all right. If you guys would, go ahead and grab your candle and your little holder there. Uh, just a quick instruction. You can just take the the bottom of your candle and push that through. That'll give you just a way to protect your hand from getting that wax on it. If you don't have a candle, if you just wanna raise your hand, Bob will make sure you have one of these. Missy, would you go ahead and light the center candle for us, okay? So the center candle represents the Christ candle. We have the candles of hope and peace and joy and love, but the Christ candle as it is lit reflects to us that the light 
of the world has come, that Jesus has left heaven and came to earth, and he has brought light into the darkness. We read at the beginning of the Bible uh, that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And in the same way, the light of Christ is separate from the darkness of our world that's been marred by sin and hate and death. And when Christ came as the light of the world, Matthew 4, 16 says that the people who sat in darkness, they've seen a great light. And those who lived in the land of death where it casts its shadow, a light has shined. As you grab those candles, I wanna invite you to stand with me. Candles are designed to carry light. And as they burn and as they glow, and as they twinkle, they also carry with them warmth. My wife got me this jacket for Christmas Eve, and I have been sweating standing by these candles all morning, just so you know. There's a warmth that comes from them. And as Christians, we are to be candles. We are to be carriers of light. And the world that lives in darkness is made bright when we carry the light of Christ with us. But the thing is, is that none of us can experience the light of Christ just in a room by ourselves. No, no, we have to each individually receive the light of Christ. If this is the Christ candle and it's the light, this light that she has, has been taken from the light of Christ. It's the same light, it's no different. And as Missy has received light, What's her assignment? It is to give light. And as she comes and as she spends time and she invests in others, I now have the light of Christ. And from one flame, all of us can receive the light of Christ. Missy, would you go that direction? Dana, come here. And I wanna pass on what I've received. And now Dana's gonna pass on what she has received. And from one source, all of us can receive the light of Christ. Jesus told his followers, which is true of us today, that you are the light of the world. He went on to say that no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And the same way we are to let our good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. As we receive the light of Christ, and as we are not selfish, but as we pass it along to those who are near us, one candle doesn't shine very bright in a room, but when all of us carry the light of Christ, the darkness is expelled. I can see each and every one of you. And so this morning, as we are here on Christmas Eve, as we've been preparing our hearts to celebrate the advent of Christ, his arrival, as we look forward with anticipation to his second advent, my prayer for you is that you have received the light of Christ. And if you haven't, you can step over that line of faith. One of the most meaningful things that we do on Christmas Eve, which almost always brings me to tears, is singing Silent Night as we hold these candles that represent that we have received the light of Christ in our own lives. So we're gonna sing three verses of the light of Christ. So dad, would you lead us?
Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.